This episode of the If You Ask Betty podcast is brought to you by Alternative Media. Are you working on a massive project and need some help? A&M offers a wide range of professional services from e-learning and training development, comics, graphic novels, 3D model creation, and virtual reality experiences. Follow Alternative Media on Twitter at A-N-M underscore tweets to stay updated or visit alter-native-media.com today to set up a free consultation. Welcome to the If You Ask Betty podcast. This podcast is designed to discuss all kinds of development topics for all kinds of learning professionals. I'm your host, Betty Danowitz, and today we're talking with Nate Regeer about compassion in the workplace. Hi, Nate. Hey, how you doing today? Good. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Could you help our listeners get to know you a little bit better? Can you maybe give us a quick intro about you and even how we met? Absolutely. Let's start with how we met. We met through LinkedIn because I was looking for people in the learning and development space. And I've been really making an effort over the last three or four months to just connect with people that looked interesting. And you looked so interesting. And um, not, and you turned out to be way more interesting than I, than I even thought because I connected with you because you work for a uh, you know, for your profession, and then found out that you do a podcast. And when we got to talking, I was just so excited about what you do and happy to have a chance for our conversation. Yeah, I'm the CEO of Next Element Consulting. I'm a, I'm an entrepreneur, but I'm also a recovering psychologist. I started mm-hmm. my career as a clinical psychologist and then moved into professional development in 08, which was kind of a significant year because that was the recession starting. It was indeed. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, since then, I've been working with some partners and trying to trying to make a difference, teaching people and coaching people better communication and conflict skills and manifesting what I think full compassion really can do in the workplace. And I'm so excited about that. Let me tell you, um, I was really glad that you reached out and we got a chance to connect over LinkedIn. And so today on the podcast, we're going to be chatting about compassion in the workplace. I know that the work that you do really brings a unique perspective Um, to the whole idea of having compassion at work. And so I'm super excited um, to talk with you about it and for our listeners to hear about it. So let's, let's start with a basic definition and understanding. So tell us to you, what is compassion? You mentioned that our, our idea is compassion at work and that's our focus. And it's not because I don't think compassion is important everywhere. It's that We've tackled this issue of how do you actually bring compassion to the workplace, not just as a theoretical concept or a feel-good thing or because the Dalai Lama does it or because my religion preaches it, but because it really is a practical, actionable thing that can make a difference in our world. And so our definition is a behavioral definition of compassion, and it goes like this. Compassion is the practice of demonstrating that people are valuable capable and responsible in every interaction. Mm -hmm. And this is very significant because it's the practice of demonstrating. That means we have to show it through our behavior. And a practice means that we practice at it and we develop the skill. Well, what are we demonstrating? That people are valuable, capable, and responsible. And those we can talk more about. But the key is that it's in every interaction because compassion and trust and a lot of other things are made or broken in every single interaction that we have. 
They absolutely are. And I think that compassion is an important, almost like micro element, not to diminish it, but to just sort of put it into perspective of things like diversity, inclusion, and um, and equality. You know, so corporations have spent so much time, so much energy, so much money trying to make sure that their message of diversity and inclusion and equality are present. And this is like, this is a piece of that. I hear what you're struggling with about what, where does compassion fit in these bigger Mm -hmm. things? And we have decided to kind of frame it as the compassion mindset, the compassion skill set, and then the compassion Mm behaviors. And so I would say the compassion mindset is a fundamental under under foundation for any of these other things. Because if we don't have a mindset that people are inherently valuable, capable, and responsible, we can't do diversity. We can't do inclusion. Right. Um, and so those are foundational and fundamental to those other things. That helped me a lot. I appreciate you clarifying that. Because it's not that I didn't believe you that compassion was important at work. I'm just trying to figure out, okay, we've got all these other things we have to make sure are important at work. Yeah. What is, yeah, yeah. you know, where does this one fit in and what, what is it a part of? So what's, what is the significance to actually applying this concept of compassion at work? Why is it so important that, that we should take note and actually act on this? At the highest level, compassion is what makes us human. It's the thing that separates us from every other creature on earth. And not only does it make us human, but compassion serves to bring us together and it serves to get us back on track when we lose our way. Those, That is why we come together because of compassion. It's why we get back on track when we lose our way because of compassion. But if we go back to why is this significant at work, I think it's because we come together to do something, to accomplish something, to fulfill a purpose and a mission. And we come together as human beings that want to get something done. And so if we don't do that in the spirit of value, capability, and responsibility, things fall apart in lots of lots of important ways. Um, but also, I would say that over the last probably oh, 15 or 20 years, starting with kind of the positive psychology and the emotional intelligence movement, more and more we're beginning to realize that this human connection between people is so fundamental to business success. And there are components of compassion that have been scientifically proven to be really the key differentiators now between companies that make it or leaders that are really inspiring and the ones that that are not. I would say that the, the basic answer is compassion is fundamental to business success when you define it the way that we do. Yeah, I completely see that too. So compassion, uh, I'm just going to say the definition again is just, and correct me if I'm wrong, viewing others as valuable, capable, and responsible. Did I get that right? Close. It's the practice of demonstrating that people are demonstrating. We have to do okay. more than view. We have to actually act on it. You're right. You're absolutely right. Are you guys writing this down? Because I'm writing this down. <laughs> I think that this is an inc- incredibly important topic to talk about. And I'm very excited that you spend so much time and energy talking about compassion itself, because I think there are a lot of other concepts out there that are getting a lot more play. So things like you said, mindset, um, their uh, candor. Uh, other leadership um, sort of quote unquote soft skills out there that are getting a lot of um, chatter, mindfulness, those types of things. And 
not a whole lot of people talking about compassionate work. That's one of the things that really sort of drew me to have this conversation with you because I have been known to say, especially when it comes to things like leadership training, that there really is nothing new under the sun. There are only new perspectives. In fact, I think that most leadership training at some point can be drawn back to the seven habits of highly effective people. It's just some derivative of it, which I'm not diminishing it, but a lot of times it's just a different perspective. And then if we were to go back even further, I'm sure we could find something written 400 years ago that had the same concept. So, but I love the perspective that you bring with this idea of compassion in the workplace, especially because, like I said, it's not a mainstream focus and really it should be. So without giving away your secret sauce, can you tell us a little bit about what have you developed that helps leaders become more compassionate at work? So do you have like a framework or something to help them make it a reality in their workplace? Yeah, we do. And that really ties into why compassion? What What's new under the sun? I really appreciate you bringing that up because I would subscribe to the same philosophy that, that you are, that there's nothing new under the sun. Not that we don't come up with new things, but that it's really about how we can combine them and frame them today to make it relevant and practical. And that's, I think, the magic or the, the innovation that we have in the learning and development industry is to make old things relevant and practical and new again for people. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of similarities. You know, some people will define compassion as empathy in action. It's a lot more than that. Empathy is my heart goes out to you and I want to go do something to help. But that really doesn't comply with the full definition of compassion. If you go to the Latin root, compassion means suffer with. Calm means alongside or with, and passion means to suffer or to struggle. Empathy means I'm emotionally suffering with you, but there's a lot more to actually struggling with somebody in a spirit mm -hmm. of dignity to get something done. Some people talk about self-compassion or mindfulness. That's applied to me, but compassion means with others. It's not just with myself. So that's not sufficient either. Some people talk about servant leadership. And that's great, except if people take it too far, servant becomes to mean selflessness. And compassion is in no way selfless. It is fully self-full, not selfish and not selfless. Or radical candor, candor, directness, all these other things, they tap on maybe a component of compassion, but they don't really fulfill the full definition, the full intent of it. And so for us, if we want to bring it into the workplace, there's four things we have to do. We have to define it in a very practical way that people get it, and it has to be defined behaviorally. Otherwise, we can't do the second thing, which is we have to be able to measure it. You know what they say, if it can be measured, it can be done. If you can't measure it, can't do it. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing is we have to be able to teach it. It can't just be something you're born with or something I'm just feeling in my heart of hearts. It has to be able to be taught consistently and replicated with fidelity. And then the last thing is we have to reinforce and apply it. It has to be a tool that we can go use to solve real problems today and make a real difference today in the business struggles that we're having. So define it, measure it, teach it, and reinforce and apply it. That's what we had to do to Compassion to make it relevant and practical for today. Okay, so I want to talk more about what that might look like. But before we do, I'm super excited to take us on our very first tangent. <laughs> so you mentioned teach it. I mean, my eyes bugged open because I 
you know, I, I'm forever talking about empathy and how empathy is a skill and we are not born empathetic. You, you have to learn how to be empathetic. We're born selfish. We're born and, and not in like the most negative way you can think of that. We're, we're born trying to survive. And so uh, naturally in order to survive, you know, the baby cries because it's hungry or the baby cries because it's wet it's not crying because it feels bad for mom because mom has to get up in the middle of the night and feed it. It's crying because it's hungry. <laughs> and so we have to learn uh, how to be empathetic, how to care about other people, how to come alongside them in emotion, as you mentioned. So we have to teach it. So first of all, I want to throw that out and see what you thought about that. And then secondly, just sort of take that and apply it to compassion. Do you think that compassion is something that we're born with? Is it a skill or is it more of a trait? Two great questions. The first one is this idea of empathy. Can it be learned? Do we born with it? Whatever. Empathy, there are biological bases for empathy, and it's called mirror neurons. Mirror neurons are a class of neurons in our brain whose sole purpose is to detect and replicate another person's emotions. So we have the capacity built in us to experience emotionally what another person is experiencing. And not everybody cultivates it as well. Not everybody develops it as well. And personality is a strong influencer of our empathy. There's a particular mm -hmm. personality type. There's six types that we all have within us. One of them is uniquely kind of predisposed to feel for, with other people. So there's lots of influences on this. However, it can be taught, it can be cultivated. And in our model, empathy is one ninth of compassion. It is one of nine strategies that can be taught and measured to fully embrace compassion. So to say that empathy and compassion are the same is really, it's just not accurate. That's the first question. The second one uh, was about compassion. Can it be taught? Is that what you were asking? Yeah, is it, yeah, is, can it be taught or is it more of a trait that people have? Um, is it something that happens to us more naturally or is, it, or is it a skill that we have to learn? It is a little bit of everything. What we've noticed is that the nine strategies for compassion are very influenced by traits. So there are three compassion skills and nine strategies. And when we look at those and really break it down, we can see that some of those start to align with like natural character strengths of a particular personality. So for example, resourcefulness is one of the three skills. And then one of the, and then one of the strategies to be resourceful is, is to exchange data and information. Well, some personality types are naturally endowed with the desire and the capability to share information and analyze information. And, and, and so they naturally can be good at resourceful, but that doesn't mean that they're naturally good at the other two skills. And so we see people kind of coming in and embracing one side of compassion because of their natural tendencies, and then they have to build out the rest. Yeah, I'm with you. I was tracking with you because I was thinking about how I am resourceful and love to exchange information. So <laughs> I was like, oh, that's me. So I can completely relate with that one. I think it's, it's that's an interesting way to look at things because honestly, a lot of times people think, well, either you're empathetic or you're not, or you're compassionate or you're not. So that brings me back to, have you had opportunities to sort of put some of these ideas into practice? So you talked about defining, measuring, teaching, and reinforcing. Do you have any success story for putting this into place that you could tell us about? 
our formula for compassion, it's a template where people apply these strategies in a very specific way to deal with situations, deal with conflict, deal with whatever. That strategy we've seen applied in all kinds of situations. Just now we're in the process of offering some free drama resilience webinars where we're applying this template to help people do self-care for compassion and build their resilience to all of these energy vampires around us right now. Mm-hmm. You know, we're sheltering in place where we got multiple roles going on in the home, trains going by while I'm trying to do a, you know, a good high fidelity mm-hmm. podcast. My mm-hmm. my college age daughters are home now and 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 they just want to eat me out of house and home. So we we have all these challenges and we've we've been doing this webinar where people where we're giving people just the basic principles and saying how can you use this for self-care and it is just going so so good but we also train leaders in how to use this explicitly for doing difficult conversations and what they're finding is it is so much more comprehensive and so much more effective than some of the other approaches like, you know, just being direct or just having candor or tough love or whatever, all the different strategies they've taught. And what they're realizing is all of those only maybe tapped into one or two of the three components of compassion, but not the full cycle of the three skills. And so that's really helpful. People are using it for change management. Mm-hmm. I like to say that the the core foundation is like the battery pack for cordless tools. And you can plug it into any tool and do any task because it is just pure electricity. I like that analogy. That's pretty cool. Are there any other examples that we may see in pop culture maybe or in, um, you know, even just in uh, in life and in the news where we can see that compassion in and of itself is at play. One of the very first posts that I wrote on my blog when COVID-19 hit was I started getting inundated with emails from every vendor, every company that I've spent money on trying to reassure me that we're going to be okay. And it started with the airlines because I travel a lot. I got emails from all these airlines and what I noticed was they were where they were strong and where they were weak in terms of compassion. The three compassion skills are openness, resourcefulness, and persistence. Openness is about an emotional connection. Resourcefulness is about problem solving and tactics. And then persistence is about boundaries and standards and integrity. Well, all three airlines, right off the bat, the the three that I travel the most, I got these emails and they were thick on tactics and strategies and data and information and what they're doing and all the stuff they're making adjustments. And they were thick on promises. You can count on us. You can still promise, you know, we're going to uphold our commitments. What they were completely lacking on was openness. There was no acknowledgement of the emotional vulnerability, the anxiety, the fact that we're just raw human beings here, scared to death, anxious, trying to figure out what to do. And they just didn't acknowledge it. And so I started watching for it. And once in a while, an organization would email me and they would start by saying, we're all anxious. We're all scared about what's going to happen. It's okay. This is what it's like to adapt to crisis. And then they would go to resourcefulness and say, so here's what we know. Here's what we don't know. Here's what we're doing about it. Then they would go to persistence and say, so you can count on us in these ways during this difficult time. And then they would come back to openness and say, we're in this together or we care about you. And oh, it felt so good. So there are shining examples out there of organizations that are doing crisis communication that includes all three components of compassion. And I think they're the ones that will keep that loyalty and connection going throughout this. 
Yeah, that's that was going to be my follow-up question to you was what kind of impact will that have on their customers um, and even their employees? I mean, you would hope that they are showing the same level as they, they focus inward as well. Yeah, it's. I think we're seeing more of it now. Um, I've been kind of getting a little bit more vocal out there on what do you mean when you say we're in this together? It's like mm-hmm. the it's like the chant of our globe now. We're in this together. Everybody's saying we're in this together. Well, what do you actually mean? Other than the fact that we all are that we're all sheltering in place, or we all have to deal with it, what does it really mean? And I think mm-hmm. fundamentally, what compassion means is we are struggling together emotionally. We're struggling together to figure out solutions, and we're struggling together around the very principles and foundations of the things we believe in. So the ones that I think will keep the loyalty and connection with their people are the ones that touch on all three of those aspects of compassion. Yeah, and there there are so many other non-businesses out there that have this opportunity right now to really show compassion. I mean, you think about the faith-based community, you know, um, they've they've literally, all of them have been turned on their head because they cannot gather together or shouldn't gather together. Some of them do what they want, but, um, that was very, I'm sorry, that was very salty. Cause I don't like that. It makes me upset. But, um, but you know what I'm saying? Like they they have an opportunity to really go overboard in showing compassion for the members of their congregations and they have to do it virtually. They have to. They don't really have much of a choice at this point. And so I'm wondering, have you have you personally seen any great examples of that happening? Wow, that hit close to home because um, I get a little salty about this too. And I am on the leadership team of my local church who helped develop our strategy for going virtual. So mm. I can personally speak to this. When we were talking about, okay, we're going to close our physical building now, how are we going to continue to serve and minister our congregation? And the first thing is, well, we have to give weekly updates on blah, 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 blah. And we have to see if anybody needs us to go get them groceries. And, you know, we have to do this and this, and we have to make sure the sermons are online and all of these tactical things. Mm -hmm. And I asked the question, I said, we also need to just let them know that they're not alone and that we are feeling with them through this maybe they don't need us to actually do anything mm-hmm. and so we split the we split our leadership team into groups and we took different parts of our congregation and we call them once a week and when i call the first thing i just say is how are you yeah. not do you need me to go to the store for you or you right. know i'm like just how are you doing you know how's the stress getting to you how are you functioning emotionally and psychologically and when they share things like man i'm you know i'm feeling so cooped up and I can empathize and say, man, I understand. I'm with you. I'm also cooped up. And they just love to know they're not alone emotionally. And then we can go to the conversation about, hey, I'm going to the store. Can I pick you up some things? Sure. I saw a great comment about this church thing and they said, the church has not been closed. The church has been deployed. I love that. That's Yes. The church is not a building. It's the people. And I, I like that. The church has not been closed. The church has been deployed. Very nice. And I'm really glad to hear that that's what you guys are doing because I think that the abruptness of this, and man, was it abrupt. I can't, I mean, as much as we should have seen something coming, I don't know about you, but I was completely blindsided and I was completely in denial that it was happening for several days. I was like, no, 
they're gonna they're gonna no they're just making a big deal out of nothing and here here i am on i think i'm on day 42 of shelter in something like that and um but anyways i think that their their quick knee-jerk reaction was how do we continue to do things the same way that we had have been doing them just online i don't know that that was the best approach not if your point and purpose is to show compassion because knowing and understanding I've spent a lot of time in church leadership myself and um, knowing and understanding that really our goal is to shepherd folks and help them just as you had just described through these hard times. It really doesn't matter if somebody plays the guitar on, on video and sings. It does help feel more normal, but that's not the priority, at least not in my, that's my opinion. That's not the priority. The priority is they know that we empathize with them. And that we see them and we're right, just like you said, that we're suffering alongside them. And I think uh, I think that the way you described it is the way that many people would love the church to have handled it. And I think a lot of churches did handle it that way. But I think a lot of them just got caught up in the whole, how do we keep doing what we're doing just, you know, over the net? Yeah, I would say that that, that, um, that problem is not just shared by churches. We're all going through this. And mm-hmm. I wrote an article and it's called... Um, has it been long enough? And the question I'm really posing for businesses and communities is, are you holding your breath mm-hmm. until the storm is gone? Or are you breathing in the air and starting to soak in and appreciate and realize that there is no going back? This is not going to be like it was. The point is mm-hmm. not to just weather the storm. This is not a tornado in Kansas that we go to our basement and when it's gone, we come back up and life is goes on. Everything is changing. And so, you know, what if, honestly, I kind of enjoy going to church remotely from my couch while I drink a cup of coffee right now. I'm not sure that I want to go back to the way things were. Mm-hmm. So are we willing to actually embrace the possibility that we might have the opportunity to learn and become something way different and way better than we ever were before. Um, But we can only do that if we let go of trying to hold on to the way things were and embrace the vulnerability that is um, part of compassion. And then we suffer together. I I described it, you said it much more beautifully than I do. Typically, (laughs) I describe it as, you know, it's, it's a grieving process. We're all grief. We've been grieving since this whole began. And in the beginning, there's denial. And um, and, but some people, you know, um, is it rage and anger in the beginning? And the one thing about the grieving process is it's not linear, right? It's definitely cyclical and completely unpredictable. Yeah. At one point, it was about a week and a half, two weeks into it. I sat my kids down and I said, I have a 17 year old and a 12 year old daughter. And I said, here's what we have to do. And they said, what? I said, we have to stop waiting. I said, when often what happens is when someone loses a loved one, they go into a period of waiting where they're actually just waiting for them to come home, even though they know they're not coming home. Like their psychological state is waiting. So they don't move on with anything. And I said, we have to stop waiting. We have to, we have to purposefully say, I'm going to stop waiting and start moving towards this new normal because let's say everything did go back to the way it was. It won't, but let's just say it did. Going from our new normal back to the way it was, we've got those neural pathways established already. That's an easy transition. The hard part is if it doesn't ever go back, which I agree with you, it won't ever go back to the way it was, we have to start creating those new neural pathways, that new way of doing things. And so we, we might as well start now. 
And, and I have, like I said, a 17 year old, she's a high school senior. And so I had to start telling her, you got to think about the fact that the way that you start college is probably not going to be the way you thought it would be. I don't think yeah. we're going to pack up a car yeah. and drive you to the dorm, at least not the first semester. And, and so that's hard, right? So let's start thinking about just start trying to change your mindset now. I mean, no, I'm with correct you. me if I'm wrong on any of that. No, I'm with you 100%. My oldest daughter is scheduled to get married in August and there's 200 people on the mailing list or on the invitation list. Mm. Every day we grieve many losses as mm. it gets closer and we start to ask ourselves, when do we have to start thinking about plan B? Or are we just going to hold out hoping that we'll get to do this? Our office, we have 3,000 square feet almost that we rent and we haven't been in it meaningfully for two months. And at first it was like, hey, maybe we can avoid paying rent until we can get back in. And then it was, well, maybe, you know, the the disaster loans will help us pay rent until we can get back in. Now we're asking, do we even need this place anymore? Mm -hmm. And today I went and I pulled the lease out to see when it expires because I actually started grieving the loss of this place that I've been coming to for 11 years and thinking this may not actually be part of the future and trying to hold on to it is just delaying the inevitable, but it is a grief mm -hmm. process, like you said, and, but it's happening so fast. We're grieving many losses every single day as we kind of accept mm -hmm. the waves of what this means for our future. Sorry if that kind of took us down a, a dark and sad road, but, you know, I think it connects to the idea of compassion because we have to be compassionate for ourselves as well. You know, we, whenever we're going through these hard times, we have to have that self-compassion. No, we do. We have to have that. And uh, one of the things that I've been kind of trying to distinguish is the difference between compassionate self-care and self-compassion. Um, I think self-compassion is often um, equated with like mindfulness and non-judgmental, you know, meditation and this kind of thing. Forgive yourself. I think compassionate self-care is is really includes more than just that. It's of course accepting what you what is and honoring your own vulnerability and your own value. But it also is then active problem solving, and it's also boundary setting, and getting clear about new priorities and owning up to the stuff that you need to do to change things. Mm -hmm. You know, I might be a mom and, or a dad. And now that I'm cooped up with my children, I'm starting to realize some real cracks in my parenting skill that I could kind of, for, I could kind of deny before, but mm -hmm. now that we're together 24 seven, it's becoming really apparent where my liabilities are. I could practice self-compassion and forgive myself and I could, you know, not judge myself, but I also need to figure out what I'm going to do next. And I need to change my behavior and make it right with mm -hmm. my kids that's part of compassion as well. So I think there's some hard decisions that we're needing to make, all of us. How can we as learning professionals help demonstrate compassion in our workplaces? So like, what can we do right now to move this idea forward? Here's what we can do. If I'm in a learning and development role, we have been assessing and measuring learning and development professionals for years using our assessment. And what we have found is that almost without exception, anyone in a helping learning and development profession is going to be overdeveloped on resourcefulness and underdeveloped mm -hmm. on openness and persistence because they're problem solvers, they're learners, they have information, they got solutions for you. And so what I would like to suggest is as learning professionals, whenever we walk onto that field, before we try to deal with anybody else, we take stock inside and we turn on the switches of the compassion mindset, which are, we are valuable, 
we are capable and we are responsible. And if I believe that about the people that I'm working with, how will I treat them differently? Mm -hmm. If I believe you're capable, then I will no longer ask rhetorical questions or set you up to get the answer right or wrong or rescue you when you're struggling. If I believe that you're valuable, I will no longer think differently of you because you're a different color or you don't have the same education as someone else in the room. And if I believe that you're responsible, then I'm going to hold you to the same standard as everybody else, even if I might be afraid to do that. That's I'm speechless because you have the words, you have the verbiage, you have the language about compassion that could really change people's lives. You could change their, it could change their lives if they could grab onto this concept and actually do something with it. So I'm so glad you shared it with us. I appreciate those very kind words. And it means a lot because our mission at Next Element is to bring more compassion to every workplace in the world. And by doing that, we want to change the balance of energy from drama to compassion because there is no shortage of conflict to go around. And compassion is the mechanism by which we turn that energy of conflict into something that will create instead of something that will destroy. So just having a place to have a voice and and get that out there to your viewers is so important. And I'm going to make a plug for our free self-care course. Um, We really want to help folks apply these principles as quick as possible within 30 to 45 minutes in their life to go be different and talk different with the people in their lives. Wonderful. As we are wrapping up, I want to ask you a couple of quick questions that I ask all of my guests. How do you align your passion with your work? Wow, it doesn't take much energy to do that for me because I do what I love and I love what I do. I am, I'm a very action-oriented person, and so everything that I learn, I want to put into practical use right away. Um, and I'm very analytical, so I'm always searching for economy of effort and efficiency and language to make things accessible and ways to tell stories that people can relate to. So it's, it's who I am and it's how I'm built to do this. I don't think I'm very compassionate by nature. Um, I'm not a hugely empathetic person. I'm not a hugely um, self, I'm pretty selfish by nature, but I can do this and I can use my strengths to make this model accessible for people. And so that's how I align the two. And I absolutely love getting up every day to go do this. What is the message that you want to get out to our listeners? What do you want them to remember? It can be topic related or not. What I want everyone to remember, and it's more of a permission than anything, is that being vulnerable does not mean you're weak. Mm. Being vulnerable means you're human, and it means that you then are ready to ask for help. Because how can we struggle together if we don't let each other know how we're doing and what we want and what we need? And so get vulnerable and then ask for what you want and then move forward trying to get it. There's nothing weak about that, and it's how we will come together to get through this. And stop holding your breath. I think you and I could do a whole hour on that. Oh my gosh, yes. How can people connect with you if they want to after the show? It's um, it's really simple. You can go to next-element.com and I'm Nate at next-element.com. You can email me if you want to see what we're talking about. Um, we have a new website up called thecompassionmindset.com. The Compassion Mindset will get you to all of these things we've been talking about. Hopefully that can get the journey started. Well, thank you so much, Nate Regeer, for sharing your thoughts today. And thank you so much, listeners. Watch for another episode of the If You Ask Betty podcast soon. Peace out.